Friends, the International Justice Mission is one of the many organisations that are working across the globe to seek to pursue justice, uh, to rescue those in slavery, to help those who are being oppressed in different ways, those who are suffering uh, in poverty, without health facilities and so on. And uh, one of the things our Catalyst Group does that you've heard about is help us to keep our eyes on the injustices in the world that play our part. But it's not just Catalyst. We preach on it. We teach on it. Uh, we support Baptist World Aid and other organizations. We sponsor children. Uh, we give to appeals because we want to make a difference in the world. So it's not enough simply to promote the gospel and to live in loving community as we've been talking about and to realize that we are in Christ. We are also to be men and women who pursue justice because that is on the heart of God. In the area of slavery, there are something like 40.3 million people in modern slavery. Uh, you see on the screen there, 16 million exploited in global supply chains in the private economy, 4 million people in forced labor imposed by state authorities, 4.8 million people in forced sexual exploitation, 71% of trafficking victims around the world are women and girls, 15.4 or million people in forced marriages, and often you don't even see that and hear about that in these statistics. Uh, young women often, young girls, forced into marriages against their will. Besides that specific area of uh, exploitation and uh, slavery, we have unjust wars, we have hunger, we have poverty, racial discrimination, sex discrimination, domestic violence, lack of equitable health care. Some people have hospitals, some don't. Asylum seekers and refugees are often mistreated. The poor are still waiting for COVID vaccinations, while some of us have had three. People are affected by the impacts of climate change. First Nations people are crying out for justice. There's a lack of affordable housing for many people, even in Australia. Together, we can make a difference. As I said, we do sponsor children, we give to various appeals, we pray. We contact our politicians, we sign petitions, we advocate for the poor. There's no, no uh, greater moment than when a local MP comes and sits in my office and he asks me about what are the things on my heart, what are the things the church is concerned about. They normally want to ask me about the local park, do we have enough parks, do we have enough something else, what's the traffic like, and you know where I take them? I take them to the refugees. I take them to the fact that we keep reducing our uh, international aid uh, to those who are suffering across the globe. They come and ask me nice questions, they want to hear about parks, but we take them to the big issues that the Bible addresses. We need to be captured by God's heart for justice and mercy. Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God loves justice and mercy. Sometimes people think, uh, when we talk about social issues, as if it's some uh, woke thing. Oh, I hate that word. <laughs> it's a biblical thing. It's right throughout the Bible, as we will see tonight, God's concern uh, for right living and for justice and righteousness. Dr. Pierce founded World Vision, and uh, he had been in a line of children waiting for food. And he said, I remember reading the story, they line up for food, and uh, they'd run out of food, and the line still went for another kilometre or so. And he thought, what will happen now? Well, there's no more food for these kids. He went back to the United States, where he was from, gathered some people together and said, we need to pray. There are people starving all around the world. We have so much food here in our own country, and they're starving across the world. And they gathered and prayed. And their prayer was this, May my heart be broken with the things that break your heart, O God. In touch with God. 
in touch with God's heart, which led to the development of world vision in seeking to alleviate um, human need, but also present the gospel. So let's start with Jesus. Pursue justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Matthew 23. We're going to just hit a whole bunch of passages and get some key principles out of this tonight. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus is speaking to the religious guys. Some people would say the Baptists of the day. He's speaking to them. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Now, these teachers of the law and Pharisees, these are the spiritual guys. These are the religious guys. These are guys who know the Bible inside and out so well that they had extra rules to keep to make sure they obey God. And you see, in the Old Testament law, you had to tithe, give a tenth of your grain, your wine, and your oil, and you had to give the firstborn of your flocks as a gift to God. But these guys were so spiritual, they did more. They also took the minor crops that was not required of them in the Bible, of herbs and mint and dill and cumin. They're saying, not only, God, are we going to worship you with our tithes, we're going to give you a tithe of the things we didn't even have to give you a tithe of. Look how spiritual and religious and impressive we are, they said. And Jesus looked at them and said, you guys are nuts. You think that's going to impress me? I want to see justice. I want to see mercy. I want to see faithfulness. Don't tell me you give me a little bit of some green stuff, some extra bit of that green stuff and, and that plant and that herb. I don't care. It's not impressive to me, says Jesus. Justice, mercy and faithfulness. What is justice? Seeing that the right thing is done. The poor are not being exploited by the strong and the rich. Step in and deliver the weak and the wrong person by punishing the oppressor. International Justice Mission ensures that people who are committing these crimes end up in jail working with the police. That's what justice is about. Mercy. You show mercy to someone who's in a weaker position. It doesn't have as much as you. It doesn't have somewhere to live. It doesn't have health care. And you step in to help them to be delivered, not reluctantly, but out of a spirit of generosity, grace and loyalty. And faithfulness, walking rightly with God. And Jesus, just to make it clear, if they haven't got it yet, says, you blind guides. I want you to listen to the, to the passion of Jesus and how hard he hits religious people who are religious but do not obey the word of God. You strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. And what in the world is that about? You see, if you're a Jew and you're making your wine... Uh, what happens is a gnat is a tiny insect that is bred during the fermenting process. So it's a picture of these guys in their lovely white robes, ministerial robes. They're putting wine through a gauze strainer and they do it again and again to ensure that any insects are caught so there's nothing in their wine because they don't want to take anything that is impure or unclean into their bodies. Jesus says, though, you do all that work, but really you are swallowing, eating the largest unclean animal, the camel. Things have to change, he says to them. Our question is, are we concerned about gnats while we swallow camels? Do we focus on non-essentials, hymns or songs or clothes, the length of our services or standing spiritual or the, the form of religion, our quiet times, yet we neglect justice, mercy and faithfulness? 
Do we focus simply on personal spirituality? Well, I'm close with Jesus. And evangelism, well, I shared the gospel. But don't go the next step to show justice and mercy and compassion. Secondly, be driven by love for God and neighbor. In Mark 12, Jesus uh, had a conversation with a person who asked him the question about what are the two greatest or what are the greatest commandments. And Jesus summarizes, he says, the two greatest commandments, verse 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Number one, love God. And uh, secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. That summarizes the whole of the Old Testament in terms of what you need to do. Love God, put God first. But then if you put God first, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Right response to God, right response to your neighbor, love them. What does your neighbor need? You know, Baptist World Aid work in Uganda and uh, they take young children uh, in, in their various groups and they ask them to do two things. They ask them to draw what they call dream maps. Dream about your future and draw it. And they ask them firstly to draw what your life is like now, give them some pencils and crayons, whatever they do, and then draw another one what you'd like your life to be like in the future. And in the maps that they draw about their future, they draw things like this, we're told. They show villages where they're able to get treatment when they fall sick. So there's a little hospital in the village. They show families that there's a reliable stream of income to meet domestic and school needs. There are homes where there's always enough food to eat and where parents have access to good markets to sell their produce. So they picture, they draw the markets. So, because if you don't have any food, if you don't grow enough, you can't sell anything, you can't get money to pay for your school fees. So they draw that. And they draw a legal system that protects them from abuse and life risks. Jesus cares for the poor and the oppressed. The kids know what they need. And if we're going to love our neighbor, we need to look at how we can do that as well. Thirdly, be concerned for the poor and social justice. In the Old Testament, there are three types of poor. The economically poor the oppressed or powerless poor, and the humble poor. And God is concerned with all three types of poverty. Justice, someone said, is about the use of power. Injustice is the misuse, non-use, or abuse of power. And I love what Desmond Tutu said. uh, You can picture this one as well, if you like. If you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the side of the oppressor. You see an injustice and you don't say anything, You're on the side of the oppressor. If an elephant, picture this, I'm picturing this elephant, has its foot on the tail of a mouse, and you say that you're neutral, you're not taking a position on this, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. It's crushed. You've got to say something, you've got to do something. In the Old Testament law, uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, for example, God gave instructions on how to care for the poor. Let me give you one example. Do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Look after the fatherless, look after the widows. Remember you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. In other words, you're harvesting, don't take all of it. Don't go back, oh, I've just got to get every little bit to make as much money as I can. No, no, leave it there. Because I want the fatherless and the poor to walk through and pick up the grain. It's for them, it's not for you. Everything's not for you, it's for them. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. I love that. The foreigner, the outsider, the refugee, the fatherless, Young children, 
who don't have a father to protect them, to guide for them and provide for them. The widow who's lost the man who would normally protect her and the children. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow. And then we go to the prophets. Because it's not just the law, and that's what I'm taking right throughout the Bible to see, it's everywhere in your Bible, right? The prophets thunder against the rich and the powerful. Now these guys, I mean, they were passionate, these prophets. You didn't want to be in the face of an Old Testament prophet, would you? Because God gives them a word of judgment and condemnation, and you see the prophet going, not you again, can you shut up, stop pronouncing judgment on us all the time. Don't you have a good word from God? No, I don't have a good word, a whole bunch of them said. God says this. God says this. You guys are stuffed up. You guys are exploiting the poor. You guys are making a lot of money and, and the poor getting nothing. Listen to God. Let me give you an example here. We've, I've got a couple of people coming to pray for us now. This is your Bible reading in the midst of the sermon. True prayer, true fasting, and true sacrifice. Two readers, thanks. Uh, the first reading is about true prayer from Isaiah 1, verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. This is about true fasting in Isaiah 58. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and, and untie the cords of the yoke? To set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away your own from, not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and the healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be in your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. And from Micah 6, about true sacrifice. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves e old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Thank you, Caitlin and Tom. The word of the prophets, and uh, by the way, in your Bible studies this, this week, uh, hopefully you're on track. Uh, you'll be looking at the book of Amos, the prophet Amos, specifically just in chapter 5 to show how the prophet Amos brings a word of condemnation and a correction to the people of God who are focusing on religion, but not on living righteous and godly lives. And so the word of prophets is a 
scathing attack on the rich in the Old Testament. They controlled uh, the trade, they controlled the, the, uh, the legal system, uh, which was biased towards the rich, and many of the poor had lost their land to large property owners. Then we move to the Psalms, for example, and in the Psalms, you see that God cares for the destitute, defends the powerless, and uh, the poor and the oppressed look to God for their mercy, for his mercy. Because they know that the rich oppressors, the people who have all the money, the people who control the legal system, are not going to look after them. And when you have nothing, you know where you turn? To God. He's the only one, right? God, we come to you. God, you're the one who can answer our prayers. God, you are the one who can make a difference. And the poor came to be synonymous with the pious. And their social condition became a symbol of their spiritual dependence. And there you see that in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Or blessed are the poor, because the poor ones are the ones who are faithful to God. They're the ones looking for the Messiah to come to deliver them from the oppression and injustice that they've been experiencing. And often when you become poor, you call out to God and you trust in Him. And you have multiple psalms like that. And you go to the New Testament, you go to Jesus in Luke chapter 4, where Jesus was up in, into the synagogue. One day he took some scriptures and he read them. Then he says that these words are fulfilled in him, in him, sorry, in him, in his coming. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news. Who? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Materially poor and the humble poor come together. Jesus come to set people free. And then you get to James 1, 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, the whole idea of widows and orphans and the fatherless and the refugee is right throughout your Bibles. And then 1 John 3 is a great uh, challenge to me in my Christian life. And this is uh, how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let's sit with this for a moment. The person we focus on as Christians is the Lord Jesus Christ, who came from heaven to earth to die in our place. We have a God who loves us so deeply that he sacrifices his life for us, that we could be reconciled to God. And John writes, look at Jesus, what it cost him to bring good to others. And you ought to lay down your life for your brothers. You ought to imitate the Lord Jesus. You see a need, do what you can. You see a need and worldwide need, if you have to speak to government, speak to government. If there's something you, that you can help meet with a whole bunch of you together to help someone out, gather together and help that person out. If you want to impact a whole place in Uganda with Baptist World Aid, let's all sponsor a whole bunch of kids in that community, change that community. And friends, a number of years ago, we chose to work in a place in Nepal. And we thought, when we started, we said, we don't just want to have kids all over the place, we want a region in Nepal. And almost 100 people, were kids were sponsored in that community. As a result of that, more kids are going to school, parents are, are learning to, to look after themselves and develop crops. Uh, Linda and I were over there and we watched them just even building toilets we take for granted here for hygiene and for health. 
We saw them being built all over the place. Because we gave, a whole community was able to be transformed. They now raise their own food, they raise their own money, they have their own money, they sent their kids to school. Young kids in child clubs were now starting to speak up. They wouldn't, uh, before they wouldn't speak up, now they had confidence to speak up. They said, we want to be teachers, we want to be doctors, we want to be lawyers, we want to rise up in our community. And you know why? Because you guys sponsored a child in a community and we did a whole bunch of them together which made a difference. Do what you can to make a difference. Five quick principles to apply this. Number one, pray and study the Bible. If you want to have a heart after God, the more you know the Word of God, the more you read the prophets, the more you read what Jesus has to say, the more you watch the life of Jesus, how he interacts with the broken and the powerless, the greater heart you will have for God and for being active in ministry. Secondly, research and read. Get the facts about the world. Uh, in the foyer today, and um, we have this magazine called Justice 2021 Toward a More Just Australia. Baptist, uh, Australian Baptist ministries have just produced this with Baptist World Aid and Baptist Care and so on to find out some of those issues that uh, Julie was talking about. How can we bring justice into Australia? When you get an email from Baptist World Aid, read it. Don't just flick it off. Find out what's happening around the world. See, give generously. There are all types of causes to alleviate poverty, sponsor children, give to the Ukraine appeal, uh, give to IGM, International Justice Mission. Just connect with groups that are doing the work of bringing justice. Fourthly, advocate. Speak on behalf of the poor. Write to the government. Meet with local politicians. Join our Catalyst group. I remember Catalyst Group a couple of times, they've organised together meetings with a local MP. They sit down, they, and it's a bit scary when you go to see a, a, a Member of Parliament, you make a phone call, we'd like to come and see you, we have some things we'd like to talk to you about. Poor, poor local Member of Parliament goes, oh no, another Christian group coming to talk to me. <laughs> They're going to bring issues of all the stuff that they haven't fixed up yet and you hope they will fix up. Put them under pressure, nothing wrong with putting government officials under pressure. That's what they're there for, right? Pay the big bucks for Get them to ask those questions. Advocate for the poor. Live simply. This is a tough one. I'm interested in, in the fasting during Lent. Now, we're Baptists. Uh, if you understand that, we don't even talk about Lent normally, right? Lent is a lot. 40 days preparation for Easter. Because uh, Baptists, we normally think, you know, every day is a preparation for Easter. But sometimes we take time out. So let's focus a little bit more on the coming death a memorial of the death of Christ. So let's stop. Let's give, people give up stuff. Yeah, someone gives up chocolate. Someone gives up something else. And uh, I'm not sure how helpful most of those things are. But it's interesting you give up buying fashion for a month. Plays with your head a little bit. You're out to the shops. You just have to buy the coffee instead of the dress. Another coffee instead of the, the jeans. Oh, man. And then if you, if you give up the coffees, that will kill you, right? Buy the jeans. Give up the coffee and see what happens giving up something and say, God, I want to focus. I want to focus on needs in the world. But living simply, and uh, there was a congress on world evangelism years ago, and they came up with this statement. It says, all of us are shocked by the poverty of millions and disturbed by the injustices which cause it. Those of us who live in affluent circumstances accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. We want to do both things. Now, we understand when we're thinking about this that it's expensive to live in Australia. 
It's expensive to go to university. It's expensive to run your petrol in your car, right? It's expensive to buy a house. It's tough. It costs in the Western world, but they're challenging us as Westerners to think through, could we live more simply? Could we spend less on ourselves and give more to the suffering across the globe? And an international consultation of a simple lifestyle wrote this. They'd resolved to renounce waste and oppose extravagance in personal living, clothing and housing, travel and church buildings. We accept the distinctions between necessities and luxuries. You've got to do some things. Creative hobbies and empty status symbols. Modesty and vanity. Occasional celebrations and normal routine between service of God and slavery to fashion. The point is that simple living is incompatible with carefree enjoyment. It, sorry, it's not incompatible with carefree enjoyment. In other words, enjoy your life, just don't spend too much money on it all the time. Play it down. I mean, I go to some functions, and they're expensive, right? Sometimes you, you buy a car not because it runs well, because of the, it is a status symbol. Look at what I drive. You buy a house not because it has enough rooms for what you need, but look how good it looks. Sure, we want a nice house, we want a nice car, all those things. But this consultation said, Christians, think about it. Work it through. What is God saying to you as you seek to live simply? Friends, I just want to encourage you this week and in the weeks ahead and the years ahead to act justly, to show mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. God of compassion and love, we pray that our hearts would be broken with the things that break your heart. Show us injustice and oppression. Give us an eye for seeing the plight of others. Give us the courage to face our own weaknesses and avoidance tactics. Help us to face the risks that helping others entail and the costs involved. We love you and we worship you. We want to love and serve our neighbour as best as we can. Give us a heart of love, we pray, that we would love those that you love. Amen.